With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello once again, everybody. and Thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, June 8th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We'll talk NHL playoffs and we'll talk golf this week with the Palmetto Championship down at Congaree Golf Club. NASCAR doing its all-star festivities down in Texas. So not much for us to say about that. So it'll primarily be hockey and golf here on today's edition of the show. Over at ATS.io, my daily MLB picks and tips piece updated for today. A couple of plays that I like. Thoughts on several of the games for you to chew on. So you can check that out over at the website. Lots of other great content over there as well. My Palmetto Championship preview for this week's PGA Tour event. We cover WNBA, NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs, UFC, big UFC card coming up this weekend as well. So I'll be writing about that here probably today or tomorrow. We'll see what I can get to. But lots of coverage of lots of different stuff for you to check out over at ATS.io. Make sure you download the ATS app as well, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. A bet tracker, an odd screen, a stats database, full article integration from the website. Very, very helpful handicapping tool. A lot of good resources in there. So download that ATS app today. With that, we bring on today's guest, and that is Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, how's it going today, man? All right, Adam. How you doing, man? The hockey's been been really good. A lot of fun. The golf over the weekend, I got to tell you, I don't know if you watched the Women's U.S. Open, but that was really, it was great and fun to watch, to watch the young teenager from New Jersey. She was pretty special and fun to watch, but to watch Lexi Tom, Thompson do the Greg Norman at the Masters, it was painful to watch, but it's got me really fired up for the U.S. Open coming up because the USGA setup at the Olympic Club, they make you work for it, man. You got to hit the fairway at a U.S. Open setup. Yeah, really interesting weekend for golf overall. Lexi Thompson, as you mentioned, uh, you know, just kind of giving that tournament away. John Rahm ahead by a million miles in the Memorial test positive for COVID. Follow-up test also positive. So he has to withdraw from that event. And then, of course, as you mentioned on last week's show, the European Tour event getting pushed back a little bit so that guys could complete the quarantine and all of that. Uh, a lot of happenings in the golf world right now, to say the least. And we'll get to that in a minute with a new tournament and a new course down in South Carolina here after we talk some NHL playoffs. And Brian, just as we expected here, the first team in the final four is the Montreal Canadiens. You know, we're sitting there before the playoffs started. Said it's gonna, the other divisions are going to be done and wait a week and a half for the, the North to get done. And they're done first. In 12 days, they went from a 3-1 deficit to the semifinals. Yeah, uh, it's it's crazy. And Yeah, you know, a 3-1 deficit in the first round <laughs> and, and, then, and then sweep the Jets. Uh, Carey Price has been spectacular for them. He, he let two horrific goals in, actually, in game four um, against the Jets. But, the, hey, they... They owed him one. The team, the team won the game for him against the Jets, but it's pretty impressive. 
Yeah, very impressive to say the least. Tyler Toffoli, the game winner last night, a minute and 39 seconds into overtime. And the thing about Montreal, too, during this seven-game winning streak, erasing that 3-1 to deficit, and then, of course, sweeping Winnipeg right out of the playoffs, they did not trail at any point in any of those seven games, which is absolutely remarkable at this time of the year. And, you know, a couple of things coming out of that series that I think will be talked about quite a bit as Montreal gets the winner of this Vegas and Colorado series game five tonight. We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes, but you know, for Montreal here, first of all, as I talked about coming into game one uh, in a preview, I wrote somewhere else, you know, Montreal was a pretty good team overall from an analytics standpoint at five on five during the regular season. Carey price was just very up and down. You know, he kind of battled through some things and all of that wasn't particularly good. He's been very good over these last seven games and pretty good in the playoffs overall. And the other thing about this series is that Winnipeg mounted virtually no offense once Mark Shifley was out of the lineup. And I know that you had some very strong takes, very strong opinions on Shifley's hit and the potential for a suspension. And the Jets badly missed him in the three games he didn't play in this series. As I said, they generated virtually no offense, had what, 18 shots on goal last night in an elimination game. Um, you know, so I guess the question kind of is, you know, how good is this Montreal team? Well, we'll find out. They're going to play the winner of the Vegas Colorado series and they'll be rested and fresh. Uh, got to be, yeah, I don't think it'll be a, an issue. I mean, rink rust is a thing a little bit, but, um, basically you're down to a best of three with the Vegas Colorado series. They play game five tonight and let's see game seven would be Saturday if it went that far, so Montreal technically, let's say, if that series goes seven, Montreal would be off a week, probably would start on Tuesday. If somebody wins back-to-back here, Montreal probably starts, I guess, Saturday or Sunday, probably Sunday on NBC. They always like the afternoon NBC game. So I would imagine Montreal's going to be off until at least Sunday. I I think it's a nice story. It's it's a good team, but I I don't see them honestly beating either Colorado or Vegas. I, I just don't see it happening. And the one thing is there are some fans now in Montreal and the league is making an exemption now. So the the one thing that we actually should take into account which has nothing to do with hockey the American teams will be able to go to Montreal. But if they go there, they're getting thrown back into the playoff bubble of last year, right? I mean, they're, they're like doing them a favor to have an exemption that the American teams can go up there. But like, say now Vegas is up in Denver. They're up there. It's a road trip. And you, there, there are no grandiose restrictions on, on what they – I mean, there's protocols. But literally – the American team is going to go up there, and it's Bubble City. They're going to be thrown into the hotel room, and that's it. It's rink and rink and room. But it's the playoffs. It's the semis. But it, it will all be, what do you call, foreign to the routines they've been dealing with of late. But then then you go, Montreal's going to be coming running into it. If they happen to play Vegas, they're going to be coming playing on the road in front of 18,000 screaming lunatics. So it's off the ice is the stuff that's going to be a little bit different. But the thing that will actually be a treat, Adam, for us, depending on who the four participants are, 
we're actually going to see some teams play a team for the first time this year and it's finally getting out of this division train wreck. Yeah, that'll be nice. And, and something else to think about here too, not only the restrictions for the road team going up to Montreal, but also now all of a sudden you're traveling a pretty significant distance. And, and Montreal, of course, has done this going out to Winnipeg and all of that, going out to Vancouver. You wonder if maybe that's a little bit of a benefit for them because they'll travel across two time zones to go to Denver, if that's who they play, or three time zones to go to Vegas, if that's who they play. At least they're kind of accustomed to the long travel, the time zone changes, and all of that. Whereas Vegas and Colorado, not nearly as accustomed to that because of the division. I mean, they did go to Minnesota, did go to St. Louis, so maybe it doesn't apply as much here as it could you know, if we get an East team against Vegas or something like that in the finals. But that is something that's kind of interesting too, I think, is to sort of think about the travel elements here of this, where Montreal may be a little bit better equipped based on going pretty far across Canada during the regular season. I think where, if that were a thing, it would be on the back end of the series. Like if, if it's a long series, cause you know, you get in early and then you, you know, you have two in a low in a venue days off in between, then you play two change of venue. But then when you get into games five, six, and seven, if it goes long and you're going back and forth for the most part, almost cross country, that, that would, that would be, I would think if it were going to be a thing, that's when it would kick in. And yes, Montreal would have, I guess you would say, an experience edge in that department. I don't. I just don't know how deep the series gets. I mean, Price is going to have to be exceptional against either of these two teams. No, I absolutely agree with you. So we'll talk about Vegas and Colorado here in a second, but let's talk about the other game that was played last night. The Islanders cashing a big underdog ticket over Boston with that five to four win. Islanders got out to a big lead, then things kind of got a little bit dicey in that game for them. They were able to hang on a game that flies over the total here. Uh, really, you know, a lot more scoring, I think, in this series than a lot of people expected, certainly more than I expected. But now the Islanders, with a chance, at home in Game 6, coming up on Wednesday night, to eliminate the Bruins and advance to the semifinal round here, the Final Four. What do you think about what you've seen in this series so far, Brian? All right. You and I have been doing the podcast and stuff together now for a lot of years. You know me pretty good. I've said forever and a day, Hey, the sport, the game itself, it doesn't matter who's playing. I mean, I, I get in. If it's a good hockey game, I'm all in. But it is by a country mile the best sport to bet. And the numbers sometimes you just shake your head. I had the Islanders last night. I'm not saying it because they won. But the Islanders were like plus $1.75, $1.85 last night. Now they're going home with a chance to close us out. And Boston's a dollar thirty-five on the road. The only thing I'll say, if you watched this series, and this is not the only series, there have been really Fakakta numbers all over the place in the playoffs. Like Vegas, Vegas's numbers are are skewed a little bit too. But if you watch the Boston Islanders game, I said this on the radio yesterday. This game's a coin flip. I mean, to me, I'm, I'm thinking this this series is going seven, and it's going into overtime in Game Seven. So how how could the Bruins be a dollar eighty five a dollar ninety got bet up darn close to two bucks yesterday, when you're sitting sitting here going, the odds are high this game's going to overtime, 
And that number was that overinflated, and the Islanders had him and then started to protect, which is a dangerous thing, boy, and they got out of dodge. They had a three-goal lead in the third and tried to give it away. But, I mean, honestly, I mean, what do you look, you look at the Islanders here catching 20 cents at home in a closeout? How are the Islanders not favored? I mean it. I, I don't get it. Well, this is like we talked about on your show last week, and, and I know how you feel about analytics, and, and obviously at some point here you and I will have a, a knockdown drag-out discussion about them. But the quant crowd, the modeling crowd, the guys that are very much into the numbers and the analytics dictate where these lines go in the NHL because they are the ones firing on those opening numbers, the ones shaping and setting the marketplace, and that's why the numbers move the way that they do. And when you look at this series here, Boston has clearly been the better team five on five. They've got 12 more high danger chances. They've got 33 more scoring chances at five on five. They've got a big advantage in expected goals, but Tuka Rask has not played well. And the Islanders have just kind of done what the Islanders do. And I think Barry Trotz, a big part of the reason why the Islanders are in position to possibly win this series. Also, yeah, the officiating has been kind of interesting. I know some people have kind of complained about that, but that's the thing is that, from an analytics standpoint, from a metrics-based approach, Boston is and has been the better team in this series, but it obviously hasn't worked out that way as the Islanders have the chance to close it out. So to answer your question as to how that one got up into that $2 range yesterday, that's the reason why, and we've seen a lot of Boston money, not only in this series, but also in the series against Washington. But I also understand where you're coming from as well, that no matter what the metrics say, the Islanders are not a team that gets blown out. They are a team that plays a lot of close games. And you do get some of that coin flippy variance in the third period of the playoffs or in overtime. So I understand where you're coming from as well. well and we're not going to turn this into an analytics brouhaha. But at the end of the day, and you sit there and say, okay, the, the numbers say Boston had this and the Islanders had that. But if you watch the games, those high danger chances – I would guarantee you 75 to 80% of the high danger chances you talk about from Boston are coming from one line. And then you take the third and fourth lines of the Islanders. Those are the difference makers. St. Louis won a Stanley Cup a couple of years ago because of their fourth line. They wore teams down over a seven-game series and and produced big goals. The Islanders' depth, their third and fourth lines, the Islanders are like a constant. Barzell's skating around like a lunatic now. All four lines for the Islanders are the same threat. They play the same game. Boston has one line out there running around like madmen. And the goaltending is a push at worst but Varlamov has been exceptional. And hockey, it's like a pitcher in baseball, but hockey specifically. There's nothing wrong with the goalie being your best player. And Varlamov's playing at a really high level. So you, know, you can have the analytics and all the numbers and all the things. And, oh, you look at the standings. and blah, blah, blah. What's the coach worth? Barry Trotz is worth his weight in gold when you're going against the same team and he's getting the matchups he wants. Even on the road, he's able to – but he has the luxury of – it doesn't matter to him for the most part because all four lines are the same lines. You watch the Vegas-Colorado series, and Vegas turned this thing around 
because they're going first line against first line, and they're using Chandler Stevenson's speed to negate McKinnon. I mean, he's not shadowing him, but they've they've taken away. I look for adjustments from Colorado tonight. It's a simple adjustment I think they got to make, but they've been stubborn, and we'll, we'll get to that game in a second. I'm, you know, the, the analytics to me in hockey, you know, I, I almost throw it out. I, I mean that sincerely. I mean, I've, I've, we've had this discussion before. Analytics is great. I've always said shots on goals a joke. Vegas outshot Minnesota 22 to 1 in one period. And like, oh, Vegas dominated. No, they didn't. The goalie's catching a puck with his teeth. It was a shot on goal. But they, in the period, the quality chances were probably like 4 2. So, and I know you, you get into that with the high. If there's, a, if there's an analytics number that I would take stock in, it is high danger chances. But analytics doesn't tell you who's going to win a battle along the wall. It doesn't tell you who they're playing against. There's just a lot of, a lot of analytics. Look, you want the case? The guy that went more bananas, he went all in, and God bless these guys. I don't know where they're going in their future. The Maple Leafs went all in. You know, they they got Tavares and Marner and Matthews. They give up a first-round pick. They go get Felino. They got all this weaponry up front. But their goaltending's ordinary and their defense is pedestrian. But Dubas, the GM there, built the team. He's the analytics guy in the NHL. And where are they? I mean, you know, I mean, if, if he don't won the cup, then I'm like, and I know only one team wins it. But their Florida went in, went. They got rid of Gerard Gallant, and Dale Talon, five six years ago. Analytics. We're building the team based on analytics, and and the thing drove off a cliff. What they do? They went old school. They bring Quinville back in. They brought a hockey guy back in, and they went and got hockey players. And it has a small place analytics in hockey. A small, a small. You don't ignore it, but in this sport, it is so insignificant in the grand scheme of things compared to money ball and baseball, which you, you're the expert in baseball. I'll buy numbers. I buy that kind of stuff. The money ball concept in baseball, not in hockey. This, this sport is just too unique. Well, certainly we'll agree to disagree. I think there's a place for the analytics. I think that they can tell us a lot. I think you do have to apply a lot of context to it uh, with regards to the NHL. And, and obviously, you know, the goaltender is, is the great equalizer. And, and that's been something in this series where, you know, Tuka Rask has not played particularly well. Varlamov has played well. After going back to Varlamov here for game two, he's played very well in this series. And Trotz, you know, with a good pulse on his team, certainly, to say the least. So, hey, by, ha- by, by the way, I mean, I think Rask actually did play pretty well, other than last night. Yeah, last night, he, he and then they're saying he's not 100%. So that's, that's not helping their cause for uh, game six coming up tomorrow. But... I mean, I don't think Rask has been pitiful. The, the one, th- the one thing, Adam, and I don't know if again, I'm, I'm again, I'm not fighting with you on the analytics thing, but you look at these numbers and all year long, they're this, they're that, they're this, they're that, and the Islanders are a counterpunch team. If you watch this series, I my jaw dropped. They did it in games one and two on the road, and actually for the most part it sustained itself the islanders are going for it i mean this is an islanders team offensively challenged during the regular season you know palmieri didn't do much of anything when they brought him over or zajac now palmieri's chipping in with big goals 
the Islanders and trots is brilliant because in this series, Boston's like doing a double take. They, the Islanders have opened up. The Islanders are going for it because they know they're offensively challenged and they know they're going against a good goalie. They're like, we're going to, they've completely changed their style in this series against it. They're like, they're looking at themselves in the mirror playing Boston. A lot of times you go, Boston, how do they get all these points? They're so top heavy. It's one line, but if, I'm not saying you throw the analytics out completely, but what you've seen in the six games so far, this is not the way the Islanders played hockey all year long. In this particular matchup, stylistically, they've completely thrown thrown the sink out. They've opened it up to generate goals, and they're willing to play a, a back-and-forth game with the Bruins saying, we have four lines that we think are capable of scoring. You have one line, and it's working. Well, let's go to a couple of the games tonight here. And we got an early one between Tampa Bay and Carolina. Tampa Bay has Carolina on the brink of elimination. Lightning lead the series three to one, one game four, six to four. Not a lot of expected goals at five on five based on the numbers in that game, but we had seven of them. So not a great evening for goaltending in game four. We'll see if both guys are able to bounce back here in game five tonight. But Brian, overall, it's been a fairly even series. I mean, we've got three one-goal games. Tampa Bay won two to one in both games in Raleigh. Carolina wins three to two to get back in the series. Then the six to four in game four. Now we're back in Raleigh for game five tonight. Tampa Bay, a small road favorite to finish out the series. What are you thinking about what we're seeing, not only for tonight, but what we've seen from the series as a whole? Well, you tip your hat to Tampa Bay is what you do, I think. I'm, my picks before the year, if there were, were conferences, and there aren't, but of the teams in the East or teams in the West and North, Carolina, Colorado were my picks. And I I think Carolina is capable of winning the Cup. Their thing is, could they get by these guys? And Tampa Bay's kind of had their number for a long time. You look at this series. And they're all one-goal games. You're right there, except the last game, Tampa wins 6-4. But in that game, Carolina had him on the ropes and let him off the hook. So now how Carolina reacts to spitting the bit in that game is going to be telltale here. They're going to have the raucous crowd behind them. I think they're a very good team. Rod Brindamore is a terrific coach. There's a big part of me says they circle the wagons and game at least defend at home here and force this to a six game and make it interesting. But you had three games in a row gone under the total before this last game, but elimination games tend to me, you know, get squirrely. I mean, game sevens maybe are are played really tight and close to the vest, but once you, you know, in the middle of a series, you get an elimination game, you know, you can get a couple empty net goals. We've seen that a couple of times in the past week. A couple empty net goals get you to a game's a dead under. It gets it to a push. I got a slight lean to the, to the fact that there are goals in this game. So I would go over the five and a half. Want to step up with Carolina, but, I'm, you know, Tampa Bay, man. I, you know, on top of the skill set they have, they're nasty. I mean, they are not, they are not a fun team to play against. Um, I'm going to lean towards goals. I really want to swing with Carolina a little bit, but I think the over is the safer play in the game tonight. 
Yeah, I mean, Tampa Bay, like we talked about coming into the playoffs. I mean, it's it's absurd that just all of a sudden you get to the playoffs and you add Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos to your team. I mean, it's it's insanity that you can add two players of that caliber. And the funny thing is, in this series, neither one's been all that dynamic. Neither one's been all that great. It's kind of been the depth guys for Tampa Bay, like an Anthony Sorelli, like a Blake Coleman, like an Andre Palat, that have actually created a lot of really quality scoring chances for them. Carolina, their top guys just really haven't played particularly well in this series. What about the goaltending situation for Carolina here? I mean, Nedeljkovic was kind of their guy down the stretch, played throughout that first-round series against Nashville. Peter Morazic gets the last two games, and it was very good in game three, pretty bad in game four. Uh, What do you kind of look for out of Carolina tonight in that regard? Well, that's their flaw. The goaltending was the question mark with these guys. You know, Dougie Hamilton can produce offense from the blue line, but he he gets a little rambunctious and causes problems going the other way. The, the thing I would say, after this ends, something to watch for, I, I think it's going to be a, a soap opera. The owner in Carolina is, you know, Dundon is kind of an aggressive, he's kind of wacky at times. And Brenda Moore is a phenomenal coach. And they're sitting there uh, wanting to get an extension for him. And Brenda Moore said to him, I'm not signing a contract until you sign my assistant coaches, the training staff, the medical staff, the, the whole kit and caboodle. Then you talk to me. And this thing's just been spiraling. And, yeah, they got a series to deal with. But if this is not when Carolina's eliminated, if this is not dealt with literally – in 72 hours, Rod Brindamore and the entire staff from Carolina will be in Seattle to start the, the Kraken's existence. Ronnie Francis is the GM. He sat here. He's waited and waited. What, what is Francis waiting for? He's not named a coach yet. He is sitting there waiting to see if, and Brindamore's got all the leverage. If Brindamore does not sign a deal in Carolina, I mean, it's it's going to be about seven guys from Carolina are going to be behind the bench and in the locker room in Seattle. And that's going to happen fast. Last game and last series to talk about here, the Tuesday night nightcap, Vegas and Colorado. I know you've got a watch party out at Sunset Station for this one tonight. So I'm sure you're excited about it. Obviously, everyone very excited in Las Vegas about what's transpired over the last two games here where Vegas was in danger of going down 3-0. But they got that comeback in game three, played maybe their best game of the playoffs in game four. And this is one, Brian, where if you look at the analytics of this series, it has been all Vegas over the last three games. Even losing game two the way that they did, they were still clearly the better team in that one. And they were downright dominant in the two games at T-Mobile Arena based on all of the metrics. High danger chance advantage of 32-9 to in the last two games at 5-on-5. What a phenomenal job Vegas has done adjusting in this series and really shutting down all of Colorado's top players. The first game was a blowout. Vegas had played a seventh game against Minnesota, but that's no excuse. Montreal played a seventh game and then beat Winnipeg. But they put Leonard in. Leonard did not have a great night, but they got killed. Vegas made incredible adjustments after the first game. Colorado was going cross-crease passes. Vegas made the adjustments. They get sticks in the lane now. Colorado's power play is unbelievable, so Vegas has to stay out of the box. 
But the thing I'm usually critical of with Vegas, Colorado's doing right now. Vegas, over the years, there's, and they're very good. So then sometimes there's nothing wrong with it. But sometimes to a fault, maybe an arrogance, and we can play any style of game or our game. And you'd sit there, and halfway through the game, they're trying all the fancy tic-tac-toe passes and stretch passes, and you're going, dump it in. You know, dump it in. Go go in. You can play that game, too. Play a straight game. Dump it in. North-South game. Get the lead. And then when the other team's chasing the game, the fancy stuff will come. Well, Vegas has made the adjustment that they are taking and clogging the neutral zone up, but they're fast enough to transition and create chances the other way. But Colorado continually is playing into Vegas's hands. Colorado, all they got to do is dump it in, and they keep trying to skate it through. And Vegas is poke-checking it away, not letting them get the odd man rushes for the most part. I mean, if Bednar tonight from the jump doesn't just get these guys get the red line get it deep go in do your four check and play a down and dirty game with the support of the home crowd and you get the lead and then vegas starts chasing the game that's when mckinnon and landis goggin ran these guys can go nuts in transition but colorado keeps trying to colorado's like we're better than you and they think vegas is playing a coast-to-coast game with them but they're not Vegas is fast enough to make it look that way in transition off turnovers. But Colorado's just got to make one simple adjustment. He's doing lines this, tinkering with the, you know, combinations. Dump it in. I mean, this is a simple game. And I, I the players just got to realize what Vegas is doing and dump it in. And we'll see if they do that. I firmly anticipate they will. I'm, I, you know, sometimes you get sucked into, you know, when you're playing to the crowd and, the, the Vegas thing was raucous and nuts, and they had great support at home. But since game two, I mean, Vegas has – Vegas by far gets the better chances, but that's still Vegas's chink in the armor. Vegas can create all kinds of chances, but can they score? And now they're starting to score because Vegas has made an adjustment that we've screamed for here for a long time. March so Carlson and Smith is an incredible line with chemistry – and they know where each other are. But, again, all the shots are coming from the outside. March so had a hat trick the other night. Two of the goals, he's standing in the blue paint. William Carlson is not known to go to the front of the net. The other night, he went to the net. There was a shot. He screamed. Puck falls at his feet. He jams in the rebound. A guy like William Carlson, who doesn't go to the front of that. Vegas has really committed to going for the greasy goals now. We always accuse them of trying to be too fancy. They've been the far better team. Because they're simply crashing the net. And Colorado's got to have the same mindset. Yeah, when you look at Vegas' five-on-five goals in this series, all but two of them coming from basically right in front of the net. So, I mean, look, that's where you need to go to score goals, especially in the playoffs, because all of these teams are so good. That's why they're in the playoffs, at funneling shots to the outside, clearing the front of the net, all that kind of thing. Good for Vegas to get in there and, and be a little bit tougher not look to play, as you mentioned, that skill game that Colorado really wants to play. By the way, in this series here, Colorado, at five on five, they have 22 high danger chances. McKinnon has seven of them, and he's the only guy with more than two. So when Jared Bednar, after game three, called out his top line, called out his top guys and said, look, they simply need to be better. 
It didn't happen in game four. And now you wonder, as they get back home here, get that last line change, is that an adjustment that they can make? Because they're a $1.45 favorite tonight, Brian. And to me, as I look at what's transpired in this series, look at Grubauer coming off of his first really bad performance of the playoffs, I don't know how I can get to laying Carolina at 45 cents, or uh, Colorado, excuse me, at 45 cents. Well... Colorado's just too good to think that this continues in this fashion. And I think they're going to get a real bounce in their step from the home crowd here. Flurry's playing really well. Grubauer's been really good. I, I, Something tells me the change of venue here. I think you may see some goals again. Uh, I would probably lean at the slight plus price over five and a half. Because Vegas has found something in terms of creating a, a gazillion chances. But I, I, I can't see Colorado not really putting some heat on Fleury tonight. But it's I, I, you can say it's the series. You you bet I'm sure you would know NBA or NHL. I don't know the exact number, but the winner of a game five series tied at two probably, probably wins 70, 75% of the time, you think? Let me see if I can look that up here because there is a site that kind of keeps track of some of that stuff. So I'll take a look and see if I can find it. I guess in the interim, I'll ask you this. You know, Vegas goes the seven games with Minnesota, plays these two very emotional games at home, played a very good game in game two on the road. What about going back to the altitude tonight? Is that anything that kind of worries you? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's not an easy thing. In fact, uh, Steve Carp, who does comes on our hockey show a lot, was the beat writer for the Golden Knights in the first year. He brought up the point when they went to Colorado, and I think they had two days between games. He said, I wonder if Vegas will come home. I'm like, well, why, why would you do that? And he said, I said, you stay there and you get acclimated to it, but there's a, there's a belief that, no, it sucks the life out of you. You're better to get out of there and come right back in, jump in and play the game. I thought it was, that was kind of a goofy thing, and then um, – they had talked about it on the NBC broadcast, I guess, back in the day. Scotty Bowman did that all the time, I think, with the Red Wings. Get, they get in there and play the game and get out of there uh, because the altitude is such a, a squirrely thing. But I guess technically, are they in the same boat now? I know Colorado's more accustomed to it, but I wonder if they're both going back on the same itinerary and the same clock. I I I, I don't know if that diminishes it, but the altitude certainly a factor. They all say they notice it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't find what you're looking for there in terms of the team winning game five, winning the series. But yeah, I mean, it's a huge swing game, obviously. And and I think, you know, there's a lot of pressure on Colorado here to kind of right this ship after playing two pretty poor games in Vegas, uh, you know, as the fortress was defended there with that loud home crowd. So should be a lot of fun to see what happens yeah. here tonight in game five and also see what happens throughout the rest of that series. Anything else on the NHL side you want to talk about before we head over to golf? Well, you know, I'm not knocking Montreal. I just thought no matter who came out of the North, I thought would be really up against it when they got to the semis. Yeah, boy. I mean, Tampa's looking really good. Like, they're they're serious about defending this. But... does the Colorado Vegas winner 
have a defined edge to win the cup in that, let's say Tampa Bay is going to play or Carolina. I, I don't want to throw them out yet, but it's odds are it's Tampa Bay. Does the Tampa Bay Islanders series or the Tampa Bay Bruins series, you know, do they beat the hell out of each other so much that the Golden Knights Avs winner has a distinct edge going to the final and just maybe looking forward a little bit? Yeah, I, I think that's a really fair question. I mean, you know, Montreal is, has played well. And as I said, from a metric standpoint, they looked pretty good during the regular season, but also the North division was not very good. I mean, Calgary wasn't any good. Winnipeg wasn't any good. And, you know, you, you wound up with a situation where Toronto was a good offensive team, but a deeply flawed defensive team. Edmonton, you could make the same case for them. So yeah, Montreal's numbers in the regular season looked pretty good, but how would they have stacked up if they were in a different division? I think it's a really fair question to ask. So, yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if a Vegas or a Colorado beat Montreal in four or five. Maybe you get the gentleman sweep, something like that. Whereas I could see the other series, the you know, quote unquote East series, uh, you know, being probably a longer six or seven game kind of thing. It's good theater, man. I mean, hockey is it's a lot of fun. And I, what I'm loving this time of year, Adam, is a we're, we're pretty close, pretty close, right, to being back to normal. That hockey and the NBA, basically, we'd already be to the finals normally, right? Yep. And this stuff's going to bleed out right to the end of this month. That, and then we have the Olympics. Hopefully, football is going to be here in a blink of an eye. I mean, there, there's no summer this year. You know what I mean? I mean, we are we are just chock full of good stuff. And in the golf that I know we're going to get to, we've got the U.S. Open, we've got the British Open, and then we get the FedEx Cup, and then we get a Ryder Cup. Uh, this is going to be a fun summer with a ton of stuff to talk about. Yeah, it absolutely is. And let's go ahead and talk about that PGA Tour event here this week, the Palmetto Championship down at Congaree Golf Club, about a half hour north of Savannah, Georgia. So this is very deep South Carolina here. Uh, a private club that, you know, we don't really know a whole lot about. I mean, a lot of these guys haven't played it, at least up until this week, where I'm sure they've kind of whacked it around with some practice rounds. There are some guys that do have some ties to the course. We will talk about them as we go forward here. It's a par 71 course, but it's going to play over 7,650 yards. There's a couple 500-yard par fours. There's another 600-yard par five. It's a pretty long course here. So, may see some distance bias as you're kind of looking through the betting markets for this one. But with that being said, Brian, we got Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Ty Hatton, Matt Fitzpatrick, Sungjae M, Tommy Fleetwood. Those are your top five, six choices on the board here. And then after that, we've got some guys that you wouldn't normally see in the 30, 40 to one range. Uh, Alex Norin, uh, Harris English was up there for a while, but his recent form hasn't been that great. Harold Varner the third is at 35 to one here at DraftKings. Kisner's missed five of the last six cuts, yet he's 45 to one. Patton Kazire, 45 to one. Keith Mitchell, a pretty weak field here down in the Palmetto State. Forgive me, and I know you're the same way. Sometimes the things run together. But I, if I'm not mistaken, didn't it, when we, we kind of landed on Coke Rack a couple of weeks ago? Was it last week or didn't we 
Didn't we say, I, all I know is, and we were talking, is, all I know is next week I'm playing Kevin Kistner. Was that with you? I did that somewhere. I think so, yeah. This guy knows his course. And the, the pros are talking about this. It's, it's, this is replacing the Canadian Open. So you want guys from South Carolina that know this course. A goofy story real quick when you say local knowledge. We had a bunch of guys get together. It was a bunch of the guys in the industry Somebody dreamt up this thing. We're going to play um, a four-man scramble, and it was like 24 guys. It was six groups, and everybody went, threw a couple of bucks in, and we're going to you know, just a fun Sunday. And we were playing over at the Las Vegas Country Club where we, a bunch of us play a lot, and we, we know the course. And we're older guys against a bunch of younger guys that hit it a million miles. And like we're having like the pep talk. We just go, we can beat these guys. We know, we know this course. And sure enough, we were leading the thing, and the uh, one group eagled the last hole. We lost by one. But we're going, these guys don't know that if, you, if you're 10 feet left of that pin, the closest you're going to be is 50 feet away. The, the runoffs and the false fronts. But course knowledge here, Lucas Glover said, is that these guys are coming in, and they're trying to learn this course for a couple of days. Well, they do this a lot. Guys play courses. Morikawa is fearless. He shows up and plays great even if it's the first time he played on a course but i would definitely look at a lucas glover or a kevin kisner guys that know this course because it it is a great unknown to them and they're talking about how different it is they said it's almost like you're playing in australia the setup there so kisner for me it starts with kisner and then i'm gonna gonna watch and see what i'm watching and dive in on friday as i usually do yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Lucas Glover, I've seen better than the 29 to 1 that's out there at DraftKings. I've seen better in the global markets uh, where Lucas Glover makes a lot of sense. A Clemson kid knows the course very, very well. Another Clemson kid in this tournament is Doc Redman, who, very good ball striker, not a very good putter. And this could be a really fast and firm golf course, depending on the weather down there uh, in South Carolina. But one other one that I don't think I can play, but it is kind of an interesting angle here. He's 85 to one at DraftKings. So JT Poston's swing coach is the director of golf for the Congaree Foundation. So if anybody knows the course, I would presume it's that guy. And I would assume that Poston's probably played, you know, a few rounds with him at a minimum. So JT Poston's 85 to one, very, very good putter. The rest of his game is not particularly good. But if you're kind of looking for some guys here <laughs> on a course that nobody really knows about, sort of some longer shot types of guys. At least Poston should have a lot of course knowledge like you just alluded to. Well, you you took the words out of my mouth that I was going to give him credit. So I'm watching the end of the memorial and they do a thing play they do a thing now players to watch in the next event. And you know, they talked about Kepka coming back in this one. And Nance, three guys made their picks. Nance doesn't make it. They put a graphic up with the guy and as it ended, Nance said, hey, I'll just throw a little long shot play in there. J.T. Poston, because he does, he's got this connection there and everything you just said. Jim Nance mentioned J.T. Poston for next week as a long shot guy to consider. So I would say you're in good company there. A couple of other guys, I guess I was kind of taking a long shot look at. You know, as you mentioned, a lot of people say this course is kind of uh, akin to the ones that are in Australia. And that kind of got me thinking maybe a little bit about South Africa. So, so maybe Rory Sabatini at 110 to one, you know, it's, it's a very flat kind of course. The bunkers don't really have faces. They're just kind of, 
flat areas of dust and sand. And my wife's from South Carolina. I've played a couple of courses down there. That's basically what it is. It's very flat. It's pretty dry. The bunkers aren't exactly true bunkers. They're almost kind of more like waste areas. So I don't know if a lot of courses are like that in South Africa, but I figure Rory Sabatini's played all over the world anyway. So at 110 to one, he's maybe not a bad look. And the other guy I was considering, because there aren't a lot of guys that are in good recent form for this tournament. There aren't a lot of high finishers, even the top guys. DJ doesn't have a top 10 since February. Kepka missed the two cuts before the PGA. Hatton, Fitzpatrick, they haven't played super well of late. Sung JM's missed four of six cuts. So some of the, the top players here haven't played overly well. One guy that has played well lately is David Lipsky at 125 to one. He's got a couple of top tens recently. So I don't know, kind of, you know, shoot a few shots and hope for the best here. But those were a couple of the triple digit shots that I kind of keyed in on. You know, I'll throw one at you uh, because the number is kind of catching my eye a little bit is the kid from South Africa, Garrick Higo, won a couple. He's a young kid, played at UNLV. He just recently won two tournaments on the European tours, a left-hander. He played, I guess, it was, was he in the PGA? I guess he was in the PGA. But he's actually been playing in North America here recently. And 50-1, to one, honestly, seems a little low. So somebody's thinking that this kid could show up and do something. I'm punching up his recent results real quick. Uh, he finished 64th in the PGA. So maybe at least he made the cut. That's not bad. That was a tough course. Yeah, I mean, uh, and let me just double check. That's it. So you know what my best guess would be? They're playing this past week at the Memorial. Where do you think Garrick Higo was? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I I don't know this for a fact, but I would assume he didn't play in the memorial that this kid probably went to South Carolina. I bet you he's played five, five, six rounds down there. And he's in really good current form. Uh, he's won twice in the last seven weeks on the European tour. Fifty to one. I I talked myself into it. I'm gonna go Kisner and, and this kid. And I think something that'll be interesting too, and I know that you adopt this philosophy on Friday nights of, of looking for guys that are maybe a few shots off the pace, something like that. Keep in mind that, you know, a lot of guys, and especially the top six on the board here from an odds standpoint, they're going to Torrey Pines next week. I mean, they're traveling across the country to San Diego to go play Torrey Pines. Some guys will be fully invested for the weekend here, trying to get this win. Other guys may not be. So, there's also, I mean, it's going to be hot and humid and gross and, you know, all that, the, the South Carolina <laughs> summer heat. So there are some guys that may, you know, be pretty excited to be out there and maybe have a chance oh. to win something. And other guys that are just going out there to shake off rust, take a few swings, whatever the case may be. So, you know, I, I'm not saying necessarily that I'm looking to fade DJ or Kepka or Hatton or any of those guys in matchups, but I don't think I could take any of the short prices this week from no. an outright standpoint. I'm, I'm, you're, you're even making my making my case bigger to take a shot with the Higo kid from South Africa and then played golf in Vegas. I mean, he's played in nothing but heat. That's a good point. Growing That's an up. excellent point there. 
A lot of good thoughts on this Palmetto Championship. We'll have a lot of good thoughts on the U.S. Open next week at Torrey Pines. But always good to chat with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Also contributor to our ATS YouTube page. There's some division previews for you to check out for the NFL over there. But, Brian, where else can people find your work, man? Well, easiest thing probably, Adam, is on Twitter, at Brian Blessing. Put the links out for all the good stuff. But uh, you join me on Thursdays. We do Vegas Sportsbook Radio from 2 to 4 Eastern. Sirius Channel 204, the Sports Grid Radio Network. If you're a hockey fan, KSHP.com. A 1 o'clock Pacific time, uh, we dive into all things NHL. And obviously, you got the Golden Knights and the Avs. Dave Shane's the beat writer for the Golden Knights. He'll be joining us today. Uh, at 4 Eastern, 1 Pacific. Uh, we'll get you a preview from Denver on the game today. So uh, if you're a hockey fan, I really do believe people will like it. Do a hockey podcast with our buddy Cam Stewart uh, called the Light the Lamp podcast on the Sports Grid Radio Network. All kinds of stuff. but And, you know, both sides of the counter we got to cover with the sports book directors, handicappers, guys like you with, you know, incredible opinions and information. So we love doing sports book radio. And the crazy thing is, We've got those uh, division previews up at ATS.io. The football work's starting now, man. I mean, football's going to be here, be here in the blink of an eye. Yeah, no, absolutely. It will be here very, very quickly, to say the least. And Hey, the one you know we didn't mention? I apologize. On the hockey, Bruce Cassidy was chirping the refs, and he got fined $25,000 for chirping the refs. It'll be really interesting to see game six tomorrow if that's the best $25,000 he ever spent and if they get some calls. He's saying, you know, the exact same things are happening, but they're calling it against us and they're not calling it against them. So, I, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if the refs, you know, listen to, to – he, he got fined for it, but we'll see if that was money well spent. If it gets some, an extra power play, that could be the difference tomorrow. But that, that happened this morning. Cassidy got fined twenty five grand. We didn't mention that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an expensive chirp, to say the least. But yep. like you said, we'll see if it winds up working out for them. And it always works out for us here on our Tuesday editions of ATS Radio. Brian, thank you so much for joining okay, me. Bye. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. All right, Adam. You have a good day. There you go. There's Brian Blessing again. Sportsbook Radio, Vegas Hockey Hotline, at Brian Blessing on Twitter. I'll be back again on Thursday with a new edition of the Betters Box, my MLB betting podcast. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again on Thursday. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.